Hey everyone, it's Drags and it's Wednesday, August 22nd, time for episode 259 of Patriots Beat on the CLNS Media Network. Find us at clnsmedia.com, follow us on Twitter at PatriotsCLNS, and for general sports coverage, follow us on Twitter at CLNS Media. Every neighborhood has a heartbeat, a place that represents the cultural epicenter of the area at its very core. In Boston's historic North End, that place is Boston Barber and Tattoo. Boston Barber and Tattoo has become home to A-list Boston celebrities like Gordon Hayward, Milan Lucic, Brad Marchand, and Aaron Baines. Boston Barber and Tattoo is more than just Boston's most well-known corner barbershop. It's also a tourist attraction for the hundreds of thousands of people that visit the North End throughout the year. Boston Barber and Tattoo, a North End landmark that represents the cultural epicenter of the area, at its core, located at 113 Salem Street. This week, I welcome Henry McKenna, who does an excellent job of breaking down all things Patriots for Patriots Wire on all USA Today platforms. You can follow him on Twitter, at McKennAnalysis, that's M-C-K-E-N-N, Analysis. Welcome, Henry. How you doing? I'm good, Drags. How about you? I'm ready for uh, the regular football season to begin, Henry. I got to tell you, I mean, I know we got to get through two more preseason games, starting with the Patriots game on Friday night in Carolina, their first road preseason game. But, you know, after a while, you watch the preseason games, and it's hard to kind of discern sometimes what's significant because of individual performances versus what the team is trying to get overall. Don't you get that kind of same idea? Absolutely. I think it gets complicated trying to read into who's getting lots of playtime, who's getting none. You know, for example, in week one, Riley McCarron got some of the most snaps among the receivers. I think it was the most per receiver. The next week, he didn't get very many. And you wonder, well, did they see all that they wanted to see in week one and realize maybe Riley isn't going to be a huge contributor as a receiver this year. And then on the flip side, Corderell Patterson hasn't gotten a single snap on special teams so far this preseason. And the expectation for him was to be a starting kick returner and potentially a gunner on punt coverage. Right. We haven't seen either of those in game action. So it's kind of a, a mystery as to why maybe he's not playing and Jason McCourty didn't play in the first week and played in the second. So you really never know, um, you know, what exactly the, the end game is for playtime and performance and, and stuff like that with when it comes to the Patriots. Certainly, um, Henry, we'll get to the secondary because I want to break that down in more detail a little later on, but you did have a terrific post on the curious situation of Cordero Patterson you know, as you mentioned, he was brought to New England, and we all assumed uh, primarily as a kick returner and someone who could do big-time damage on special teams, taking some of the burden off Julian Edelman, even though Edelman will be gone at, for the first four games, as it turns out anyway. And also he was brought to New England uh, with Danny Amendola now in Miami. But what we've seen in the first two preseason games is that he has a significant role in the receiving game. You know the way I read it? Uh, Henry, is the fact that I think they are trying to find out if Cordero Patterson can really do damage in the receiving game uh, because there is, you know, a vacancy there to really step up and grab hold of. Right. I think they're interested in seeing what happens when the ball goes in his hands because we've seen him at practice and it feels like 
he's an effortless runner and that's not necessarily a compliment. It, it kind of means he doesn't put enough effort into his routes. He rounds them off a little bit and maybe should be a little more precise with his footwork. And so, you know, you think of him as sort of a downfield threat, but that may not be what he is. He's more of a check down option who can make a big play by breaking tackles in the open field. So we saw that in preseason, not once, but twice uh, on what was nearly a long touchdown, but, but ended up just being a 20 yard gain when he stepped out of bounds. And then later he broke a tackle. I think it was Sidney Jones. Right. Uh, and, and scored a, a touchdown. So we've seen that Cordero can make plays in the, in space, kind of just like, you know, we, we've expected him to do in kick returning because he gets, he gets space and he runs away with it. So the question then is, okay, so how, how can he contribute as a more versatile weapon? Because, you know, it, it, it's too much of a, well, I guess it, it could be okay to have him out there as just that sort of one trick pony. Uh, but you know, if, if it's Belichick and if it's McDaniels thinking about it, they want him to be able to do more. Um, you think back to the running backs last year, and I don't think Belichick and McDaniels liked that Mike Gillisley was a key indicator that the Patriots would be running, and James White is a key indicator that they'd be passing. They like guys who don't tell the defense what's going to happen before the snap. So if Patterson comes on and he's just a gadget player or a bubble bubble screen player, then maybe the Patriots will work on developing him as as a more versatile route runner you know in the coming weeks you know i think henry it goes without saying that when you're cordero patterson and you come to new england um you have so much more around you than even you know those high flying days in minnesota uh or last season in oakland there's so many more options uh, offensively that a coordinator can use you use you in and you know when you take a look at uh you know, the, like, for instance, the very first series uh, that Brady played on Thursday night against the Eagles, it was pretty much all James uh, White out to the left, James White in the flat. And then the very next series, they changed it up and gave you a completely different look. That's, to me, uh, a reason to expect that Cordero Patterson could be a very big weapon in the Patriots' offense. Sure. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And he... He is an interesting wrinkle in himself, right? Like the Patriots, exactly. He they don't have to do all that much to put the defense on their toes. McDaniel's <clears throat> is famous for coming up with interesting schematic wrinkles, but I mean, you just put Patterson on the field, and it's it's a bit of a matchup problem. You don't have to overthink it. You can really just get him the ball uh, in one way or another and see what happens. And, and generally, as history goes, good things happen. It's just that, you know, I think maybe fantasy football owners will look at his stats and they'll say, hey, you know, he's really not that much of a consistent performer. And that's not what, obviously, the Patriots need out of him. Uh, they need him, someone who is sort of a headache for opposing defensive coordinators, opposing defensive backs, and safeties to to think about him all the time uh, when he's on the field, whether he's getting the ball or not. Well, and I think, uh, again, going back to James White, 
I think you can make the argument he's as big a cog in that offense as Rob Gronkowski. I really think going into this season, he is going to be a huge part of what they do and taking a lot of the burden off Brady because White is that dependable uh, you know, check down back. Uh, but what, I've, what we've seen from him in the preseason is I think he's going to have a bigger uh, load in terms of running the football. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens when Rex Burkhead comes back because he practiced yesterday and he is uh, both a pass catcher and a runner, sort of versatile in that way. He kind of won over the red zone back job last year uh, because he could do both things and he was reliable in both, both sort of passing and running. So I think that's one guy who might cannibalize White's role, um, as may Sony Michelle, depending on his health. But I do think that, especially in the early weeks, White will be as important as anyone, like like you said, as important as Gronk, maybe. Because of Edelman's suspension, there are so few receivers that Brady can count on week to week. Even Even Chris Hogan was sort of erratic when he came back from his shoulder injury. Last year, he was pretty consistent going into that injury. But when he came back, there were days where there were Sundays where he just disappeared entirely. And um, I guess that sort of happens sometimes with James White, but it's all according to the plan. Right. It's 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 sort of uh, it's not that he's disappearing because he's not going to make a difference when James White is supposed to be a difference maker. I mean, (laughs) look at look at the Super Bowl against the Falcons like he makes a difference. So I'm with you in that regard. Um, if the Patriots want to make him a focal point, he'll be a major focal point. And considering that maybe Sony Michelle ha- won't have come along as quickly as he should have with this knee injury, which has held him out for the better part of training camp, I think that you're right that that White will be a major factor. I, you know, I think every year we hype up his role in the running game a little bit more than than actually happens, than, than comes into reality. So I guess I'll do sort of cautious, cautious optimism in that regard, but definitely he'll be getting a lot of targets. You know, that's, in those. yeah, that's a fair point, Henry. I mean, we keep thinking that he's going to do more running, and I, I keep thinking that, but I think when he's in there, to your point, they don't want him to be uh, an indicator of what they're going to do, right? I mean, they do not want you know, James White in the game and not running the football because that, you know, long-term will keep defenses honest if he's running the football. Totally. Yeah, and you look at his stats, I can pull them up real quick, but he never really runs the ball that much. But like you said, they're not – I mean, his his average is usually above four yards per carry. It's because they don't anticipate him to run. You know, he's, he still manages decent yardage. So last year he had 43 uh, attempts at four yards a carry, and the year before he had 39 for 4.3 per carry. So, you know, they, they'll they'll do that on purpose, I think, to, to um, keep defenses honest a little bit. Speaking with Henry McKenna, does an outstanding job covering the Patriots for Patriots Wire for USA Today. With over 8 million users across the USA and Canada, Game Time is the top destination for last-minute tickets to all major sporting events, concerts, and shows. Game Time is built for the urban millennial and the Gen Z customer that is always on the go and constantly optimizing the best last-minute experience. Game Time is the top 
destination for last-minute tickets to live events, and unlike Ticketmaster and StubHub, who overwhelm you with so many choices and steps, the GameTime app shows you only the best values and makes buying tickets incredibly fast and easy. It makes selecting tickets even easier. GameTime shows you an actual high-res photo of the view from your seat. Plus, the GameTime guarantee has you covered. They'll guarantee you they will guarantee you'll receive your tickets in time for the event, and they'll be valid for entry. If that doesn't happen, GameTime will locate the comparable replacement tickets or give you a 100% refund. Whether you're looking for sports, music, or theater events, you can find all of them under one roof at GameTime. For $15 off your first purchase, visit usegametime.com beat and use the promo code BEAT, B-E-A-T. Again, for $15 off your first purchase, visit usegametime.com beat and use the promo code B-E-A-T. Speaking again with Henry McKenna of USA Today, does a great job covering the Patriots for Patriots Wire. Let's move on to the defensive side of the ball. We spent the uh, first part of this uh, show talking about the offense. Your impressions of Jawan Bentley and why you think he might be running away with a starting linebacker job as a rookie out of Purdue. I think it's, the reason is twofold. Uh, the, the first thing you hear about Bentley is just how smart he is. And I was talking to Christian Sam, the rookie that was selected around after Bentley, and a guy who um, is learning the playbook. Sort of, It's sort of obvious that he's learning it a little bit slower than Bentley. And that's no disrespect to Christian Sam. I mean, he's a rookie. These things take time, unless, of course, your name's Juwan Bentley and you were a four-year <laughs> captain at Purdue and apparently a very, very hardworking and intellectual football player. And it shows how quickly he's been uh, assimilated into this Patriots culture and the and the starting, you know, group because he's calling plays and and it's sort of a wild thought that. He's calling the plays for Dante Hightower. He's calling the plays for Devin McCourty and, and Kyle Van Noy. I mean, they're all in the same huddle in this 22-year-old. Uh, I got to fact check that na- that age, but 21, sorry, is, um, is calling the huddle for, you know, so many experienced veterans who've been in the system forever. So, I mean, I'm sure he's making some mistakes, just like, you know, we see mic'd up rookie quarterbacks all the time, you know, figuring out the, the jargon, the terminology, but to see him lead the team in tackles through two preseason games is impressive, um, especially because he didn't actually get that many snaps in week two. He was, he was, um, he was just, you know, in the group with all the starters. So I think it was like 16 snaps or something like that. And he still managed to log a bunch of tackles. So I think, um, you know, his smarts, his production, and then, you know, the biggest other reason is maybe that Alandon Roberts has not developed in the way that the Patriots were hoping. He is a, a very solid run defender when he's, when he's doing the right thing. And it sometimes seems on film like he's guessing, like he's um, maybe going too instinct- instinctively toward the ball, uh, too aggressively toward the ball. Um, so there was an interesting play in week one where the two guys, Bentley and, and Roberts, were on the field together in a goal line situation. 
And it was sort of exemplary of their play. And, and I'll, I'll say before I explain the play, I'll provide a caveat, which is that I didn't actually know what defensive play was called. So it's very um, possible that both guys were doing exactly what they were supposed to do. But sure. anyways, the play is called, it's a run to the left. And Roberts books it right up the middle. You see yeah. sort of a gap. Yep. And, he, and he just fires up the middle. and. Um, Basically, the running back sees Roberts coming and heads, you know, behind his blockers to the left. And Roberts can't make a play. He's he's sort of a non-factor. And Bentley, on the other hand, is sort of getting in the right position, you know, as the play develops, keeping an eye on the running back. And when the running back shows himself, Bentley breaks into the hole, meets the running back, and tackles him at the line of scrimmage or for a loss. I can't remember which one, but essentially we've seen, we see two different styles of play and one you would associate more with a veteran and ironically it's the rookie and one you would associate with the rookie and ironically it's the veteran. So, um, you know, that, that battle was on display maybe in that play in itself. And, you know, you saw who, who came out on top in that play. Um, so we'll see. I, I think that, you know, it's early and, and, we just Belichick likes to tinker with his ro- his roster and his depth chart and see who can do what where. But I think the fact that Bentley got an audition with the first team and had such a successful audition with the first team is a good sign. So I'm going to go way out on a limb here and make an analogy, making a comparison, because one of the guys that I saw in college that w- I was just a huge fan of at the time, and he's turned into a great, uh, you know, all-pro linebacker is Luke Keekley at Boston College. The reason I bring Luke Keekley up is I think Luke Keekley reads as well and, and plays as a, instinctively smartly, combining instinct and um, you know reading the, the offense and what they're doing, uh, as well as any young linebacker in the game. And you know when he came into the NFL, he was ready to go. And that's what Juwan Bentley reminds me of. He reminds me of a linebacker, as you said, four-year um, player at Purdue, a captain, so obviously a leader who's very, very intelligent and studies the game. Uh, that's who Juwan Bentley kind of reminds me of because of those uh, characteristics. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a pretty lofty comparison. It and, is. And I know you're, uh, and, and, you're going it, on a limb. I am, but I got to tell you, he's shown me enough in terms of his instincts, both reading like running plays, like you mentioned, the, the goal line play that Belichick's talked about a couple of times, you've talked about, we, a lot of people have talked about that read and react play. Uh, Evan Lazar, my colleague at CLNS Media, had a great breakdown of that same play. Uh, it just seems like an, in, an instinctive example of how to play the position of linebacker, especially for the Patriots. But the other one, Henry, that I want to, the other play I want to bring up is his breakup of the pass for Dallas Goddard in the back corner of the end zone, uh, in the red mm-hmm. zone, late in the first half, I believe it was, against the Eagles. And yeah. that is an indication of, of a linebacker who can not only play close to the line of scrimmage, he can break out in coverage, red zone, and cover a, you know, a very obviously skilled tight end and break up a pass that would have been a touchdown. And that is what is most surprising about Bentley. It, you know, to even think that one could try and make the comparison of, of Luke Keekley for a guy who at Purdue sometimes came off the field on third downs in passing situations is 
like wild because there was, I was trying to get at this and didn't quite get enough questions in, but we, we randomly started probing Bill Belichick about projecting players to defense and how they might make that transition. And I was talking to him about, you know, like what, what sort of indicators one can get to and how, how dramatic those indicators have to be because he's moved people from cornerback to safety like Devin McCourty. And then there's the idea of moving someone all the way to the other side of the ball. So then you see a guy like Bentley, who's in college, a first and second down player, and all of a sudden looks sort of like a three down player, or, or actually we can say definitely looks like a three down player in preseason. Um, and regular season is different. That's why I add the sort of in preseason asterisk, but Basically, I was trying to eventually get to, okay, so how do you project a guy from college to have such a different role in the pros, especially when, you know, the college coach thought that they were too limited to do that. And at a higher level, somehow they can. So we'll see, you know, whether Bentley's coverage abilities stand sort of the test of more complicated scheme when, when preseason is over, but his his physical ability, you know, seems to be there. It seems to be enough. And we've already talked about how his mental abilities seem to be there. So it would make sense that he's, he's going to be able to be a factor on all three downs. I mean, again, it's a projection, but it's sort of, it's sort of interesting to see how Belichick anticipated this um, and maybe he didn't realize it until camp because otherwise Bentley might have been a higher pick than a fifth rounder because running ba- or linebackers who can cover in the NFL are so darn rare. But it's just, I mean, it's just a, I mean, tip of the cap to Bill, uh, the general manager, as usual, um, you know, at a time when they they really needed just what Bentley might be to find him in the fifth round would be, you know, quite quite the gem. What does Bill always tell us, though, Henry? He always says, you don't know about the player until you really get them on the field and, and you see right. them and they're with your team. You really you just don't know. And that goes good for the good and for the not so good. And with Jawan Bentley, maybe it's for the very good that uh, maybe he has assets and skills that they didn't even see on film at Purdue or didn't see a lot of when they scouted him uh, that he's displaying now. Maybe it's a matter of that case and that's all it is. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, it, it, you know, we want to give Bill credit for, for finding gems like this, but ultimately, you know, it's kind of like a Tom Brady situation where there's no way that anyone knew in the Patriots organization that Tom Brady was going to be who he is. And similarly, I think, you know, Juwan Bentley, I bet they probably didn't have a great sense. You know, they're looking at his traits and they say he could potentially develop into a coverage linebacker, right? But if they had thought, oh, he's definitely a coverage linebacker, then they probably would have picked him higher. Um, So, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just that. It's an example of just that where, Bentley probably got there and they, they thought of him as something and they never really used those, those, I guess, preconceived notions against the player. Bill always says they have a blank slate. So, 
you know, they drafted him because they thought he had a set of skills. But then once he got into the, the Patriots system, they experimented him with him in as many ways possible. And they said, OK, looks like he can do this, this and this. And then let's see what happens in preseason. And, and he's proved, you know, to be a lot more than what his college film showed. Speaking with Henry McKenna, doing a great job covering the Patriots for Patriots Wire for USA Today. I want to tell you about RX Bar, whole food protein bars with simple, real ingredients. RX Bar wants, wants to build things the right way. RX Bar believes in the power of transparency and lets the core ingredients do all the talking with all of them listed on the front of the packaging. You likely recognize RX Bar at the shelf. They're the ones who have egg whites for protein, dates to bind, nuts for texture, and other delicious ingredients like unsweetened chocolate, real fruit, and spices like sea salt or cinnamon. Turns out, real food ingredients actually taste really good. Whether you like sweet or savory, chocolate or fruit flavors, there's definitely an RX bar for you. Me? Well, I'm personally a big fan of the mint chocolate bar. It is just a great way to give me a boost of protein that I need in the afternoon, especially when I'm covering a Patriots preseason night game, which we have, of course, all the time during the month of August. For 25% off your first order, visit rxbar.com and enter the promo code TRAGS at checkout. Once again, for 25% off your first order, visit rxbar.com slash T-R-A-G-S and enter the promo code TRAGS at checkout. Speaking again with Henry McKenna of Patriots Wire at USA Today. Okay, I want to rate your level of concerns, Henry, with the injuries. First round pick, Isaiah Wynn, out for the year with a reported torn Achilles. Sony Michelle had fluid drained from his knee and expected to miss most, if not all, of the preseason. And then there's Duke Dawson, who's nursing a bit of a tight hamstring. What gives? What What is your level of concern with those? I think it's problematic that all three of them are, are dealing with an injury. I mean, luckily, um, the, the two injuries might not be long-term, but I don't know. You, you worry. I mean, it, the Patriots have a long history of drafting players who have injury histories, and it's not necessarily favorable. I mean, they got Gronk a guy who fell into the second round. And uh, aside from him, you know, some of these injury-plagued players, Razai Dowling, Dominique Easley, um, Malcolm Mitchell, those are three that come to mind. I'm sure there are more. Um, are guys that, that proved to be, you know, too great of a risk. I mean, Easley left and is playing well in uh, Los Angeles, but – he he had injuries while he was with New England, and, and that's why he didn't contribute very much. And then ultimately, the rehabbing of those injuries may have been what led to his departure. Um, so when a guy like Isaiah Wynn suffers a season-ending long-term injury, that's scary. I mean, he didn't have um, an injury history, but one as significant as an Achilles injury is is really not great. I mean, luckily, he's young, and so that helps. Um, when Kobe Bryant, for example, suffered his Achilles, there was fear that he would never be able to come back to basketball. Again, a sport that's more explosive than maybe an offensive lineman, but it's a significant injury, I guess, is what I'm trying to say and have already said. And so, um, you know, I think he'll be back next year and, and should be a contributor, but 
it's a little bit different of an expectation where the Patriots are, are on a one-year deal left with Trent Brown. And my thought has always been that they wanted Trent Brown to be their bridge player between Nate Solder and Isaiah Wynn. They were going to use Wynn as, as the sixth offensive lineman this year. And considering how often offensive linemen tend to get hurt, he probably would have plugged and played at some point during the year and gotten NFL experience. And then next year, maybe the Patriots ultimately let Trent Brown walk in free agency and they move Isaiah Wynn to left tackle where he'll probably remain for many years. But now they won't be able to get that that uh, experience in for Wynn. And, you know, they, they can't get a greater evaluation for whether Wynn is ready for the job. So it puts their left tackle plans on hold and maybe means they have to try and negotiate another deal a year in the deal with Trent Brown before, you know, he, he puts too much tape um, up because he's only making uh, a little over 1 million, might be one think this year, which is an absurd value for a guy who could play all 16 games at left tackle. I mean, look at what Nate Solder just made. So um, that's a significant p- position. And even though, Isaiah Wynn wasn't projected to be a starter in 2018. His injury kind of has an echo effect moving forward. Um, and Sony Michelle's injury, I just talked about all the players with injury history. He came into the league with that knee on knee, bone on bone, I mean, um, condition in his knee. And that could impact his career. Um, and so, you know, for a rookie running back, to not be getting reps with the starting offensive line, to be um, forced to study the the film and the playbook from you know the meeting rooms, it's not great. And and he there's a good reason to think that a running back can step in and can make an impact, but you you also kind of get nervous about well he hasn't played at football speed in a really long time and and when he was playing, you know, he was, it was the first time, again, he had played in a long time looking at mini camp and OTAs. And so, um, could he pull like a hamstring now? Right. I mean, could his lack of conditioning lead to another injury? So it's, it's definitely nerve wracking. And then Duke Dawson, I'm not as worried because, um, we haven't seen him out for that long. And, he was playing pretty well. I mean, he was a little bit inconsistent uh, in, in camp on one-on-ones and stuff, but he was getting first-team snaps. And I imagine that he'll lose the first-team job to Jonathan Jones, who's looked really good since he got back from injury. Um, and Dawson will have a little bit of time to get healthy and make an impact sort of on the on the defense. But uh, when he gets back, he could compete for that slot spot. But I guess I just think that these first round picks, you know, have to be so important uh, going forward for this franchise. And to already see them both (laughs) struggling with injuries doesn't leave a ton of room for optimism at the very least in the short term. But the long term, it gets a little scary, too, because because knee injuries that you need fluid drained, you know, almost immediately after getting onto the field. And that's that's just scary. Well, I, I agree. And, you know, to be very honest with you, I don't, 
I'm not as concerned about Isaiah Wynn because I think that's a fluke injury. Um, I would like to think it's a fluke injury. And certainly, like you said, no injury history there. I actually think that uh, Isaiah Wynn is more of the, it was more of insurance against Shaq Mason leaving and Shaq also in the final year of his deal looking to get you know big time money uh, on the free agent market. I think if they like what they see in Trent Brown early on, I think they might make the commitment. Like you said, he's making $1.9 million this year, and that's an incredible value. Um, maybe they try to get him locked up long-term. Maybe his agent doesn't allow that to happen. Um, but I think, you know, if they like what they see in Trent Brown, and he's been, you know, by all indications, and I'm sure you would agree with this, you've seen him day in and day out in camp. He's been tremendous. Um, you know, maybe they try to sign Trent Brown long-term and let Shaq Mason walk. I don't think there's a scenario where both Trent Brown and Shaq Mason are, are on this roster next year. Do you? Uh, I don't think that they have the money to make it work. I don't either. So, but yeah, they really don't. I mean, I guess the only way it happens is if Trent Brown comes out and doesn't play well in the first few weeks, but then I don't know why they would want to resign him. So it seems like all Trent Brown can do is create a huge market for himself over the first few weeks of the season and Shaq has already created a big market for himself in a, at a position that's already becoming very highly valued. So from a money standpoint, I just don't, I don't think they'd be willing to invest. I mean, they'd be investing probably 20 million a year in each of the, in total. Um, in both, between so, them both. Correct. Yeah, so that's I mean that's a major I don't see investment that. in one off season. No, and if Isaiah Win I mean that's why I think the Isaiah Win pick was so big and if you know they really liked and he was getting more he was improving, he was getting more reps with the first team and obviously he came in and played right tackle um when uh you know Marcus Cannon's been out, but when Adrian Waddle came out after the first series with Brady against the Eagles um, you know, it was Isaiah Wynn at right tackle, and you had, uh, you know, Trent Brown on the opposite side. I want to move to the secondary now before we wrap it up here, uh, Henry. And do you see a situation where Jason McCourty and Eric Rowe are on this roster to start the season and Jonathan Jones is the, you know, the slot corner? Yeah, I, I am not quite as... Um, sold to the idea that there's no way Jason McCourty makes the roster if he's not in the starting lineup. Um, but I do think that he's definitely in a tenuous position because he is not a huge contributor on special teams. Um, seems like the Patriots are trying to figure out if he can contribute on special teams, but you know, he's an older guy and, and I don't know if that's going to be, um, a big part of his game at this point in his career. So I think that they might want to keep Roe and, and McCordy um, because of how important it is to have top level talent at, at the quarterback position. People always, or Bill, I think always says you can never have too many DBs. You can never have too many corners. So um, I think having, 
three outside cover corners is is a roster move that makes sense in today's NFL where passing is so important. And um, I'd say Rowe is the obvious choice right now. He just has played better uh, in, you know, the first few weeks of training camp and, and preseason. There are still two games left, and McCourty, you know, can still make a push. I will say he did not do himself favors uh, in the second preseason game, especially against Shelton Gibson when Gibson just him in the end zone. Absolute, yeah, I mean, it was embarrassing. McCourty just froze on a slant route fake, and then it was sort of a sluggo, like slant and go kind of thing where, you know, he, Gibson fakes the slant, heads to the corner of the end zone, and <laughs> McCourty was nowhere near him. Uh, so, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I, it just basically we don't have enough information yet on this group because so much is up in the air. It, it really is a, a position where I think, it, you know, in mini camp we were saying, wow, this is going to be insanely competitive. And, and now I don't know, you know, it's, it's definitely a big competition and it's up for grabs and very open, but maybe not quite as competitive as we thought. Keon Crossan committed three penalties in the preseason game. Jason McCourty got torched. Um, JC Jackson clearly uh, solid, but still working on the kinks after going undrafted this off season. And, you know, we, we know Eric Rowe uh, had some difficulties last year in the Super Bowl and, and in other places. So, you know, it's, it's definitely an open competition and maybe not the most competitive of open competitions. Yeah, I think, you know, the, uh, certainly the asterisk or what you need to keep in mind with, when considering uh, the Patriots' secondary is they're not playing the way they would play in terms of scheme uh, in right. the regular season. And that is what is so hard to decipher when evaluating uh, a position like the defensive backfield because Bill's always said the pass rush is connected to the coverage and the coverage is connected to the pass rush. And it's like an accordion going back and forth. They're definitely connected and you can't evaluate one without the other. A very good point. Yeah. You, you look at how complicated the Patriots coverages can get to, and you'll know that, the Patriots aren't even really scratching the surface on this sort of tricky switches and um, different things that they can do schematically. So that's a test of, you know, mental aptitude and physical ability to move from where you're supposed to be pre-snap, which is a total illusion of what you're going to actually do after the snap. Patriots do that so well. And, and it, they're going to have a different defensive coordinator with Brian Flores, but I imagine they're probably going to keep doing those things and sort of tying into your thought of how the pass rush relates to the defensive backs. We've seen a really strong play. We have seen really strong play from the pass rush this preseason. We've seen aggressive blitzes and stuff like that. Um, and I'm not so sure that that will necessarily continue into the pre into the regular season. Uh, I think that we see a lot the, an aggressive approach in the preseason from the Patriots. 
And then all of a sudden they soften a little bit once regular season rolls around. And I've always wondered if it's a mm. bit of schematic misdirection where the Patriots are, sort of pretend like they're going to be hyper-aggressive and get after the quarterback because this is the year. <laughs> but um, I think back to like the year that Gerard Mayo was sent on a bunch of blitzes up the middle you know, during preseason, I can't, I can't remember the year exactly, but you know, all of a sudden he was racking up sacks in the preseason or pressures. And then the Patriots just went back to doing what they always did, which is Gerard Mayo was an inside linebacker who played every down, but wasn't a blitzing linebacker. So um, I think that with, with less pressure in the regular season and less aggressiveness in the regular season, that will also impact the defensive backs who will have to do longer bouts of coverage um, and in different ways because there will be more people dropped into coverage. Henry, how can people follow you on Twitter and online? Uh, so I write for Patriots Wire, as you said, so people can log on to PatriotsWire.com. We've got tons and tons of coverage of not just news, but also analysis and list-driven stuff. So lots of easy-to-digest information that's, plenty detailed and and um you can also follow me on twitter at mckenna analysis m-c-k-e-n-n-a-n-a-l-y-s-i-s i write about pets i also write for the big lead about national stuff whether it's nfl or nba so you'll get a little bit of everything but mostly patriots coverage We'll have to have you on again soon and maybe uh, mix in a little bit in NBA because I don't know if you know, but uh, CLNS loves themselves some Celtics and NBA rivalry stuff. So we'll probably have to have you on again, Henry. Yeah, that would be super fun. Yep. I appreciate you taking time out, uh, Henry. Really great conversation. I want to thank everyone for downloading today's podcast. Thank our great guest, Henry McKenna, and our sponsors, Boston Barber and Tattoo, Game Time, and RX Bar for our producer, Mike Alonji, our executive producer, Larry H. Russell, and the founder of the network, Nick Gelso. This is Mike Petralia, and this has been the Patriots Beat Podcast on the CLNS Media Network.